Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Sam. And this is Books and Bagels. As always, before we get into our main book for this week, let's go over some of this week's reads. So I had a very busy week. I have a bunch of projects for finals starting this week, or that started last week. And so I didn't have much time to read. So all I got done was this book, the book that we're reviewing on this episode, which is Know My Name by Chanel Miller. And you'll hear my thoughts about it later. So keep listening. Come on. This week, I read Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. I'm seriously hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. This is the second time I've read this book, but I completely forgot everything that happens because I read it like four years ago at camp. I was not a huge fan, but now that I'm like more into fantasy and I'm rereading it, I like it. I have heard that like after the second book, it gets really, like after the first book, it gets really, really bad. So I'm a little scared. Also, as of now, it seems like there's a love quadrangle, which I'm a little confused about. Um, but hey, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, so far it's good. A little generic, and the main character doesn't have a ton of personality traits. But hey, we'll keep we'll keep seeing where this takes us. This week, Sam and I are going to be talking about the aforementioned "Know My Name" by Chanel Miller. This book is a memoir, memoir told from Chanel's perspective, all about um, her rape at the hands of then Stanford student Brock Turner and sort of her mental health and everything that she went through um, in the time leading up to the trial and the time after the trial. Um, This should go without saying, but massive trigger warning. We're gonna be talking about sexual violence in this episode. So please proceed with caution. And as always, before we get into the most interesting and most discussion-worthy parts of the book, we wanted to go over some of the uh, most important people who are written about in the memoir. So the first character that we're going to talk about is Chanel Miller, who also goes by Emily Doe for publicity purposes, I guess. And so she is the girl who, or woman, who has to sort of go through all of this and this is her story and she is sort of like you're gonna know my name you're gonna know my side of the story now because like she wanted to I guess not shine a light onto the trial and everything that happened but she wanted to sort of bring attention and bring more awareness to like how she felt and what she went through and so the next person is also named after a designer uh Tiffany um get it Coco Chanel Tiffany and yeah okay um uh Tiffany um also I'm pretty sure she's referred to in the dedication as Tiffy which is cute um but she is Chanel's sister and she was sort of there through everything like she was there when Chanel was in the hospital right after she was there at the trials and like yeah they're kind of they're buddies they're best not buddies like they're good friends and they help each other out it's nice it's cute next uh person we have is lucas lucas is chanel's boyfriend and he is a huge part of her emotional support system throughout the book and just throughout her life in general similar to tiffany um we don't see a lot of like his thoughts on um 
everything going on, but he's there for her when uh, she moves in with him about halfway through the book um, in Philadelphia. And while there she experiences a tremendous amount of panic attacks and um, just like a lot of anxiety and kind of like breakdowns for lack of a better word. But she also goes through like a massive character shift in just the way that she approaches life in a good way, I guess. Or she also undergoes like a massive character shift, I guess, in a little bit of a good way where she kind of learns to open up a bit. So there's a little bit of like the good and the bad in that time in her life. And he's kind of there for all of that um, is basically like her shoulder to cry on throughout the majority of the book um, and is there to kind of make sure that she's taken care of and that she's okay um, in addition to Tiffany. And he is also kind of used against her in a way, her relationships during the trial are completely picked apart and criticized. He has to testify. Um, and so he's, uh, his role in the book is very much from her perspective as both a support system and something that was eventually kind of utilized against her in the same way that Tiffany's testimony was tried to be turned, was uh, the defense tried to turn Tiffany's testimony against Chanel as well. Um, and then lastly, we have Brock Turner. Um, Brock Turner is Chanel's rapist and really nothing else worthwhile to mention about him. Um, if you can remember, he received a six month sentence, got out in three months because of his rich, because of his rich family and his quote unquote good behavior. Um, and is currently, you know, out there living his life somewhere. So there are two things that I want to talk about that are sort of just like stylistic choices, I guess. And so the first one is the name of this book, and it's called Know My Name. And I think that that is like a really, I think it's an interesting name uh, for, for two reasons. And the first is that she did publicly go by Emily Doe. Um, well, she remained order, anonymous. Yeah, but like they called her like Emily Doe at points. Yeah, like nobody knew like who she was. Yeah. She was referred to as Emily Doe in, like, yeah. her testimony and things like that. And so I think that sort of taking back her name and saying, like, this is me, I was, like, anonymous slash victim in all caps slash Emily Doe, uh, how whichever court proceedings told, called her in each one. But I thought that was really interesting. And also, uh, there is one scene, uh, I believe it's after a shooting where she says, where she's talking about like the victims of the shooting. And she says that I don't want to include the victim's names here for names are sacred. And I do not want them identified solely by what he did to them. And I thought that that was interesting because she didn't want the victims to solely be identified by like the fact that they were murdered because their names are their names and those should be like kept separate from the crime. But she decides that she wants to be associated with this crime. She wants to be associated with like what Brock did to her. And so she puts her name publicly out there through this book and tells everyone that she wants them to know her name. Whereas she like didn't want that to happen without the victims of the shooting's consent. She like is giving her consent for everyone to know who she is. And also um, I was like flipping through the, the back cover of this book and I was sort of looking at it and it taught, so I have the hardcover library version. Um, and on this version, there are like little gold veins here. And it says that the reason for those are that 
uh, the golden veins on the cover represent the Japanese art of, I'm going to butcher the name, sorry, uh, kintsugi, uh, which is golden repair, uh, in which pieces of broken pottery are mended with golden powder and lacquer, rather than treating the breaks as blemishes to conceal. Uh, and it says that the technique shows us that though an object cannot be returned to its original state, the fragments can be made whole again. And I feel like she was sort of the fragmented piece of pottery and she like painted herself over with like gold. And like, though this story is something that will like live with her forever, she can turn it into something not good, but something that can like benefit the public. Like the public can learn about it. And that would sort of be like the gold that goes over her cracks. Yeah. And I think that there's such power behind um, her like sharing her name and associating her name with this book, as you said, because for so long she was known as Brock Turner's rape victim or Emily Doe or however like the media referred to her, like one or the other. And so the story like so focused on him. And while there were people in the media and people in the public who were critical of him and obviously like a sh like horrid, um, obviously like condemned what he did and condemned um, the crime that he committed. Um, but for so long, it seemed like so focused on him and so focused on like what he did as opposed to the fact that like he did it to somebody else. And that person was a person for lack of a better phrasing. Um, and so for her to kind of be like, yeah, like I am not just Brock Turner's rape victim. I am a woman, I am a human being. I, my experience and my perspective of the story matters more than just the fact that I was drunk on that night or the fact that like he, you know, was a Stanford swimmer and I went to UC Santa Barbara. Like these are things that she's reclaiming. And I think that there's so much power to that. And that's like basically the overall theme of the book is like, she wants to define her own story, but in doing so, she, or rather, she's defining her own story in this book, a story that was largely taken away from her, a story that was kept out of her reach. Um, and to do that, it takes power and it takes courage and it takes a ton of bravery. So for her to like put her name out there and to read her victim impact statement aloud on Oprah like she did, I think that that's beautiful. And hopefully it will, it has done so much to empower victims of assault or victims of sexual violence. So this story um, is very, one of the biggest discussion points in this story is kind of like the treatment of survivors. Um, Chanel kind of details the various tests that she went through, the various interviews that um, were conducted with police officers and lawyers and jury members to kind of like put her story out there. Um, but the fact that she was even able to report or the fact that she even went to trial is so rare that she acknowledges it as much in her story. The fact that like, yes, Brock got a ridiculous sentence, like a ridiculous, ridiculous sentence. Um, but unfortunately, that is like progress, which is horrible to think about. The fact that so many people are not believed by police officers, they're not believed by prosecutors, they're not believed by anybody to the point where like they can even begin to seek justice for what was done to them. And yeah, it's kind of crazy to think like Chanel's 
extremely traumatic story, a story that did not end up the way that it should have, or like the way that the original traje trajectory was going, is still considered like a rarity and, and even like a blessing um, in the world of, of sexual assault. It's just like freaky to think about. Yeah, and to the point of like the trials themselves, I was surprised, like I don't know much about like sexual assault court and how that works, but like the victims were forced, like the victims of sexual assault are forced to go through so much in their trials just to get like their rapist accused. And it was like days upon days and weeks upon weeks of different trials and testimonies. And they and, kept pushing back like, hearings and things like that too. Yeah. And like they, she was forced to like watch like different things associated with that night be like recounted as evidence. And like it was, it's so much that like the victims are forced to go through in order to sort of like try and seek justice. And I get, I understand it to a point, like you do need to have some form of like evidence presented to a judge and you do need to give a testimony, but it's like, it's hard to go through all of that and sort of like have to recount the trauma time and time again. And like, even just to be in the same room as the person who violated you like that. Yeah, she even says when, like, while she's getting discharged from the hospital, like, I have two conditions. I don't remember what the first one is, but the second one is that I never see him again. And, like, that was 100% not upholded, so. Yeah, yeah. And, like, even to that extent, like, she breaks down in the courtroom during her first or second um, testimony, and everybody in the courtroom, basically, except for, like, her immediate family, it's like, get yourself together. Actually, rather, except for her immediate family and her lawyer, who like an advocate who gives her tissues, is basically like, get yourself together. Like, why are you doing this? That kind of thing. It's just so rude to her. And again, it's like proof that the system is not built to support survivors. It's not built to give them justice um, because any kind of justice system, justice in quotes, um, that actually cared about the actually cared about survivors wouldn't force them to undergo that to that extent. So another super big discussion point in the book, uh, the reason that Chanel wrote the book was to kind of talk about her healing process or not so much her healing process, but just sort of the way that she functioned after the assault and in the time leading up to and following the trial. And her story is very interesting because I think that oftentimes in the media, like survivors are not talked about or even like given the spotlight in any way, unless they are the perfect survivor, unless they're like literally like clothed in white, like a virgin, ever had a sip of alcohol in their white life, like perfect white little blonde girl, like sitting there being like, ah, you know, like that's the only kind of survivor that the media is like, yes. And, um, Michaela Cole has a TV show called I May Destroy You, which is also about um, kind of breaking down the perfect survivor archetype um, and kind of like, what do you do if you're not the perfect survivor? I haven't seen it, but I've heard good things. Um, I'm actually planning on watching it soon. But Chanel is not the perfect survivor. Um, she's had a history of alcohol abuse and many relationships 
and she's a freelance artist you know not necessarily like the angelic like little and she's Asian not necessarily like the little like angelic white girl like the media kind of wants you to be and that's why her survival process is so important and she talks about it as much she's like listen like after he was deemed guilty I didn't like I didn't get better in fact like I think many would argue she got worse like she talks about the fact that she couldn't sleep alone anymore that she like would stack up like chairs in her doorway and like lock her windows and basically like barricade herself in her bed before she went to sleep every night and she talks about how like she still like couldn't really be intimate with her boyfriend um for a long time after um after the assault because you know obviously there's a lot of trauma associated with like being in a relationship with somebody like that um and just the fact that like she is very imperfect and suffered from frequent like anxiety attacks and just moments of like complete despair like constant despair um proves that there's no there's no um there is no perfect way to survive there's no perfect way to live your life after trauma and it's important to tell those stories just as much as it's it's important to lift up these stories instead of just focusing on the like perfect little girl who was violated. And I also think that sort of like sharing like an imperfect recovery story makes it easier for others yeah. to sort of like, not that they're necessarily gonna read this book, but they're, they pro they're probably gonna hear some variation of the story or someone being like, I read this book, you know, something like that. And they're, I guess they'll feel less alone because if all, all you see are poster children, then you're not seeing yourself reflected anywhere. And if you don't see yourself reflected anywhere, then that can lead to sort of even more troubles beyond like the PTSD and whatnot that you're already undergoing. And it leads to further shame from people who haven't suffered the same trauma to be like, why are you like this? Like, why can't you just kind of like get yourself together sort of thing? Like the people in that courtroom who just didn't understand what she was going through. Like these stories are also important for society just to like reshape the way that we think about survival and reshape the way we think about trauma. So the last thing I think I wanna mention um, is that this story is particularly impactful for me because I remember reading about what was then called the Stanford rape case when I was in fifth grade. And that was kind of the first time that like my mom or even just like the adult women in my life were kind of like talking to me about safety, specifically safety as a woman. And because I was old enough to kind of like understand, I guess a little bit more of these, like a little bit more about violence against women it kind of like hit me all at once of just being like, wow, this is, this could be my future kind of moment. This is what women have to face on a daily basis. This could happen to you. And this could happen to you because you're a woman. And it led to me kind of like having conversations with my friends at that age for the first time being just like, what is this? Like, what does it mean to be a woman if this is like, if this could be any of our futures? Um, and if this could happen to any of us, and if, like, if we don't take all of these steps 
like we could be in such danger. And even if we do take all of these steps, even if we do have one of those like cool little devices that like you put in your drinks in college that like tells you if there's a roofie in it, like you could still be attacked like this. And it made me feel very scared and very, I mean, we've read so much about just like rape cases, specifically rape cases on college campuses um, where they have almost zero infrastructure to support survivors where there's virtually no access to counseling or anything that can make your time post assault a little bit better, um, where colleges and institutions basically turn their back on you and kind of throw you in the deep end, so to speak. And I think that reading this book five years later, um, after kind of like knowing that this was sort of the spark, I suppose, in my kind of like epiphany as a kid of just being like, oh my God, like, what, what is this? <laughs> like, but this was kind of like the first time in my life where I realized that like somebody could attack me because I'm a woman. Um, it made me feel so proud of her um, to see her talk about this and to see her be so open about her experience. And um, it made me just feel like a little bit more connected to her, I guess. That's why I kind of was able to like get into this book so quickly and so easily was because I just felt like a connection to her already, if that makes any sense. And so sort of because of the content and the themes of this book, uh, Sam and I came to the conclusion that it would probably be kind of inappropriate to give this book our normal star rating song and bagel so we're gonna leave it at that yeah i think we both really like this book um we both found it really impactful and if you're somebody who's able to read content like this i would highly recommend um you do read this book because her story is really worth listening to books and bagels in the morning as always, if you have any author recommendations, book recommendations, or anything related to books and or bagels that you would like us to discuss on the podcast, please feel free to email us at bagelsandbookspodcast at gmail.com.